God the just is satisfied not to look on me and condemn me, but to look on Jesus and pardon me. Man, that's what we've been talking about in Romans, right? That's rich stuff. You may be seated. My perfect, spotless righteousness. If your faith is in Jesus, that is true for you. No matter how you feel, no matter what kind of week you had, Christ is all. Christ is Savior. Look to Him and rest in Him. If you're not trusting in Christ this morning, none of that is true for you. But if you are trusting in Christ this morning, it is all true for you. Be comforted in your Savior. And turn to Isaiah 53. Actually, we're going to start in Isaiah 52, 13. And I'm going to read from there through chapter 53. I'm going to preach all of that, so we're going to be here for about three weeks. Um, <clears throat> this is going to be a devotional look with a, with a particular focus. And uh, you may not know this, we'll go ahead and tell you, our run-up to Christmas this year is focused on the names of Christ. And I'm starting that run-up to Christmas uh, this year with a name that I don't believe I've ever heard a sermon on. And this won't be, again, this is not going to be an exhaustive sermon, but maybe it'll whet your appetite to think about it. One of the things Jesus has called in the Old Testament is the arm of the Lord. And we're going to talk about what that means. But let's read together from Isaiah 52, 13 uh, through chapter 53. And then we'll, we'll look briefly into God's Word. And that's a statement of faith, isn't it? <laughs> Y'all know me, so you're not expecting too much of that. All right. From chapter 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall and shall be exalted. And many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him 
the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, we just sung about this, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressions, with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercession for the transgressors. Thus far God's word. Amazingly written some 700 years before the Christ ever was born. Reads like a newspaper account. Let's, let's pray. Lord, indeed this is your word. It is a grand and glorious gift from you. We have you revealed to us in the creation to such an extent that all are without excuse for not believing in you. We have you revealed in your word special revelation so that we might know you and trust you and love you and follow you because of your grace. We know you through your word. We know our salvation. We know our Savior through your word. We know ourselves through our word. So may your word bring us to an end of ourselves so that we rest and trust and roll all of our hope off of ourselves onto the Lord Jesus Christ who is our Savior, our righteousness, our Redeemer, our hope. Help us, Lord. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Take it. Plant seeds of faith. Bring those who don't know you to faith. Lord, grow those of us who do know you. Take away everything that we don't need to be more like Christ and grant us the things that we do and grant us to cherish the things that will make us like Christ. Bless the preaching of your word. Help me to preach it in the spirit this morning in power. And bless the hearing of it. May we hear it as the word of God and treasure it and be formed and shaped by it. So bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. We know that it will not return to you void. We cry out for you to build the house. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Your God is too small. You do not think big enough about God. You might say, you don't know me. You don't know how much you know. And you're right. I don't care. 
You're not glorified yet. You have much to learn about God. May today be another brick in that wall. Because all of us, our God is too small. We need to know more of Him. We need to grow in grace. We need to know Him more so that we rest better in Him and trust Him. Listen, child of God, you can't think big enough about God. And the bigger you think, and the more expansive your thoughts are of God, the more peace you will have in the midst of the darkness and suffering of this world. I just want to highlight one attribute. It relates to what we're talking about this morning about the arm of the Lord, but omnipotence. Omnipotence. What does that mean? God is infinite. He is unlimited in His power and therefore in His authority. There are no limits to our God and the creation shouts His glory. Now, sure, we have limits in our, in our minds and we struggle with vastness or really smallness. Illustration. 1995, Hubble Space Telescope spent 10 days focused on a dot in space. And the man that wanted to do this was told it was a waste of time. That you, there's nothing there. You can't see anything there. You should be using that valuable Hubble telescope time for something more worthy of study. But, they, but, but he went out and they focused that telescope on a tiny, dark region of space that looked empty. And over those 10 days, and I'm not sure of all the technical details, you can read how they did that. But as they focused and exposed and let that light shine into that Hubble Space Telescope, this is what they saw. And check this out. What you're seeing there is not all stars. These are galaxies. Galaxies. Like one we live in, the Milky Way. Some bigger, some smaller. But galaxies just in that one little dot. In that small place they focused. They saw thousands of of galaxies. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament His handiwork. Think about that. In just that one spot, thousands of galaxies. The universe is said to be some 93 billion light years across. That's assuming we're knowing all we need to know about measuring light and how, how fast it always travels through and somebody else's work. But imagine that. Light travels 675 million miles in an hour.
and to get from one side of the universe to the other billions of years. And again, that's assuming we understand everything the way we should. And our God created this and sustains this and named every one of those stars. And he's working out all of his creation, his purposes in creation. So I ask you again, how big is your God? He's huge, right? Infinite. Does the vastness of the universe challenge your faith? It shouldn't. It just shows us that our God is too small. Because if we really believe he's infinite without bounds that nothing is too difficult for Him, that He is omnipotent in power, would it be hard for Him to do that? No, our God is too small. We need to stretch. Psalm 113, 5 and 6 says this. Now think about what we've just talked about. Think about what we know now and we'll probably we'll learn more in the future. The psalmist asked this, and it's a great question, who is like our God? Expected answer, nobody. Who is seated, now watch this, who is seated on high, <clears throat> who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. Far transcends this universe. Looks far down on the heavens and the earth. Solomon in his prayer of dedication he asked this. He said, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house I have built. See, Solomon had a big God and a big idea of God. And her, he'd never seen those shots. I want to challenge you this morning to think about expanding your horizons when it comes to your knowledge of God. We're starting our Christmas run-up series uh, this morning on the names of Christ by talking about the arm of the Lord. And there, there are many texts we could have gone to even to talk about <clears throat> the arm of the Lord. But since we're doing communion today and, and all of that, it just felt right to take it from Isaiah 53, and especially since that focuses on Christ, as we'll see. See, we're diving right into Isaiah, I know, and I'm not going to set a lot of context. We're in the fourth of four servant songs, and the servant songs in Isaiah describe the service and the suffering and the exaltation of the servant of the Lord, who is, is not Israel, who is the Messiah who is the one that at that point was to come. And listen, if you read Isaiah 53 and you are not amazed at the detail of the prophecy, I, I, your God's too small. <laughs> right? But in this fourth and climactic song, we find an interesting name for the Messiah. And it calls Him the arm of the Lord. And the main thing I want, to ta I want you to take away today my main point, and again, this is a different kind of sermon than normal, 
Your Christmas is too small. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you whether it's right to celebrate Christmas. It is. and Deal with that in your own heart. It's right to take a season to focus on the incarnation and celebrate that. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. We don't celebrate like those who have no hope. But it's right to do. <clears throat> and my point is your Christmas is too small. The power of God was incarnate to save you. The very power of God took on a human nature to save us. Let's look at a few other texts. I just, this main heading is the arm of the Lord explained in the Bible. It's really, this is just a few of them. There are so, so many. But I wanted to use a few verses to highlight, let's show you how other places in Scripture <clears throat> use the term the arm of the Lord or the hand of the Lord or the outstretched arm. It all really means the same thing. But Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, now a song is, if you're, an old, if you're old school, a song's going to pop into your mind. If you've sung some of these choruses in the church, you're not going to be able to avoid this when I read it. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. Now watch. And by your outstretched arm. Conclusion. Nothing is too hard for you. Whatever you're going through right now, it is not too hard for the Lord. And He's not failing. If you're His child, you might be going through deep waters and suffering and struggling. He's right there in it with you. He's making it work for you. It'll make you more like Jesus. No, He doesn't always want to make us comfortable. That's the kind of Christianity we want. Spoil us. Make us little spoiled children. Keep us comfortable. Don't let anything touch us. <clears throat> That's not how God does it. Read Hebrews 12 and talks about the discipline of the Lord. Everyone experiences that. Why? For a purpose that we might partake of His holiness. Nothing is too hard for you. That creating all of those galaxies, creating this vast universe that doesn't even begin to, to fully describe you and your power and your, your greatness, nothing is too hard. But He created the heavens and the earth. So creation, the arm of the Lord is spoken of as the, the power of creation. <clears throat> it was God's outstretched arm that put all the stars in place. Exodus 6.6, 6, we're talking about deliverance now, the Exodus. He says this, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh. I, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you, look at it, with an outstretched arm <clears throat> and with great acts of judgment. Another text says that he broke Pharaoh's arm. Does that mean he literally broke? No, he, he broke his power. All of those judgments on Egypt were judging particular gods and showing them that they were nothing as He overcame. But His outstretched arm, just as it was used in deliverance of His people from Egypt, it is used in deliverance from His people from sin. Look at Isaiah 30.30. And the Lord will cause His majestic voice to be heard and the descending blow of His arm to be seen. Speaking of judgment on the enemies. In furious anger, in flaming, devouring fire. And that's in the New Testament as well, by the way. And with a cloudburst and storm of hailstones. 
So his arm, his power is used to vanquish his enemies. To deliver his people. It was used in creation. And then we saw, we didn't quite go back this far in Isaiah 52. But look at 52.10. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. He has bared his arm. He has shown his arm. And where is the ultimate revelation of His arm? So just a little conclusion from this section. Just, these are just a few verses to bring together. Whet your appetite, you can read more. But the arm of the Lord rever- refers to His omnipotent strength employed for the deliverance of His people and the punishment of His enemies. It's really how it's used and talked about, and certainly in creation. The arm of the Lord refers to His omnipotent strength employed for the deliverance of His people and the punishment of their enemies. And now we'll get, we'll get to our text. And again, we're going to just take a devotional look at this. But the arm of the Lord incarnate in our Savior. The incarnation, the birth of the Son of God, where the divine nature took on a true and human nature, two natures, one person, forever, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we've already determined that the arm of the Lord is a figure of speech that represents God's infinite power. An arm represents strength, right? When you see a big bicep, you think, strong, strong. I mean, even your phones. Have you seen that? Have you seen that flexed bicep emoji? What does it mean? Strength. It means strength. I'll tell this story. Y'all may, some of you young kids may not know even who all of these people are. You probably know who Arnold Schwarzenegger is. But believe it or not, at one time he was governor of California. (laughs) Move all the girly men out, is what he said. But when George Bush went to there to congratulate him on his election, George Bush uh, said that they were friends, and he was delighted to tell the people that they had three things in common. That they both married above their station in life. Right? That they both had problems with the English language. (laughs) If you remember George Bush, you know. And that they both had big biceps. (laughs) And after the crowd laughed like that, he said, and two out of three ain't bad. (laughs) Arm. Strength. The very strength of God employed to deliver His people. And yes, to judge His enemies. Look at Isaiah 53. Now watch, we're going to read these first two verses slowly. Who has believed what He has heard from us? Now watch. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Good question. Now look how verse 2 starts. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Look, 
the arm of the Lord. Who knows who that is for He. The arm of the Lord is a He in this text. For He will grow up in an ordinary way. And Corey's going to talk more next week about Emmanuel and God with us and the virgin birth. Who would have imagined that the Son of God would have been born like that? It says, He'll grow up in an ordinary way, verse 2. Like a young plant, like a root. He had no former majesty that we should look upon Him and no beauty. He wasn't the best looking guy around. He wasn't that blind-haired, blue-eyed Jesus you see on a lot of the pictures. Don't put that in your house. Sorry, grandmas, if you have that picture in your house. (laughs) Take it down. The arm of the Lord is a he, and he will grow up in an ordinary way. And look what else will happen. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And the Jewish people in large mass part did not see him for what he was. Some did by God's grace. But it says we esteemed him not. Does that remind you of anybody when you just read that? There's an old song too. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. What's the next one? Hallelujah. What a Savior. There goes some humming. I know I put in these songs. (laughs) It's good. This coming one, this Messiah, will be the incarnation of the arm of God. The incarnation of the very power and strength of the Lord. And that strength will be employed for a particular purpose. Look at Matthew one twenty-one. The angel, comforting Joseph and reassuring him of the plan and, and telling him what's going to happen says this, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice there's no doubt about that. It doesn't say he will save most of his people from their sins, or he might save his people from their sins if they're willing. He will save his people from their sins. Hebrew, Yahshua, the one who, the Lord is salvation is what that name means. Greek, Jesus is Greek of Hebrew, Yeshua, Joshua. God is salvation. God's power will be brought to bear to save His people in the most amazing way. As we're going to see as we run through Isaiah 53. But even Mary speaks of the arm of the Lord in her Magnificat or her praise to God for her Savior. Yes, she needed a Savior. But look in Luke 1, 49-51, it says, For He who is mighty, there goes another song, who has done great things for me, and, and holy is His name, and His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Look, He has shown strength with His arm, and He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. God and man... In one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we'll talk about this later, in the manger. 
the arm of the Lord took on flesh and dwelt among us. And how would He save us? How would this power be brought to bear? It would be brought to bear first in humiliation. The arm of the Lord would would be humiliated. From His birth under His own law in, in, in the stable to His resting in the grave for a time, the Son of God would be humiliated for us even though He was the arm of God. Look at verse 4. How would He save us? Verse 4. Well, He would be pierced for our transgressions. Look at this. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Look at verse 5. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds... We are healed. Pierced for our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities. The arm of God would come and be crushed. In humility, being humiliated, taking the punishment, taking the, the wrath, taking, drinking that cup of God's wrath that Scripture speaks about, drinking that dry for His people. See, if you won't have Jesus, you'll drink that yourself and you'll never be able to drink it dry because you are just man. Mankind, man and woman, you get it. But you aren't, the point is, you are not God. You are not the armor of the Lord. You do not have the capacity to drink that dry. But he did. He took the blow. He was pierced. He was crushed. The physical suffering was horrible, but the spiritual suffering he endured made it pale in comparison. That's why he sweat those drops of blood, because he knew he was about to be crushed, taking the weight of the wrath, the just and holy wrath, do his people. The soul that sins shall die, be separated from God, suffer because we violated a holy God's law. Therefore, we owe a holy and infinite debt that we cannot pay. And he came to pay it that we might be brought peace and might be healed. And listen, that healing, Peter talks about that, that's a healing from our sin sickness. Yes, eventually when we're glorified, there will be no more suffering. That's not promising uh, health, wealth, and prosperity always for everybody in this life, okay? People misuse that verse. I'm not doing any more of that. You hear me talk about that enough probably. Look at verse 6. How did He save us? He took our transgressions, right? And He paid for them. Now look at verse 6. All we like sheep had gone astray. It's just, I mean, our study in Romans, all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. All we like sheep had gone astray. We've turned everyone turned to our, away from His way to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Imagine this is the book of your sin. 
And believe me, this is too small. But imagine this is the book of your sin. In Christ, I don't have an illustration for this, but His righteousness is here, right? The Lord took our sin and laid it on Him. And He was crushed on the cross. Paid. Paid in full. Sin debt gone. And then the righteousness of Christ that was earned laid on us. Cleansed, forgiven, made children of God. All through the work of the arm of God who came to bear His arm to save His people. The Lord laid on Him the iniquity. If you're trusting in Jesus, you can know He took your sin to that cross way before you were even born and paid fully the penalty due you for your sin that you might be clothed in His righteousness. Verse 7, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. I mean, Pilate got mad about that, right? Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He said, don't you know who I am? Will you not talk to me? I have the power to crucify you or set you free. And Christ looked at him. You have no power over me. It was not given to you. But he was silent. He took it on Himself. He was willing to go to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, takes away the sin of His people of Jew and Gentile from every nation. He took that upon Himself and He, he was willing to go silently and take that. Look at verse 8. By oppression and judgment He was taken away. And as for His generation who considered that He was cut off from the land of the living, why was He cut off? Look at it. Stricken for the transgression of my people. Remember, He will save His people from their sins. He was stricken, the Father says, for the transgression of my people. He's paid the debt in full to tell us die. Cut off. Look at this. I mean, it's amazing. If you read the Gospels and you come back and read this, if you doubt God or if you doubt His Word, how do you explain this? That 700 years before it happened, such detail would be given you. Even this. And they made His grave with the wicked and with a rich man in His death. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. Although, look at this. He had done no violence, nor was there deceit in His mouth. He was sinless. But He died to pay the penalty for our sin. He took the wrath and condemnation to us that we might have His righteousness and blessing and be children of the living God. So He died. He was stricken. He was cut off. He was laid in the grave. Now a little more explanation. Look in verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Now watch this. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That's resurrection. 
He's accomplished His purpose. He's saved His seed. He's blessed to be the Savior. His sacrifice is sufficient such that it says He will prolong His days. Listen, what is this saying? The servant will live a long life after he has made a guilt offering. He will be resurrected and blessed with offspring. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Justice satisfied. Christ paid the debt and paid it in full. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, this servant, this arm of the Lord, this son of God, this Messiah, this Savior, the only one, will make many to be accounted righteous. How? For he will bear their iniquities. See, He took our sin and paid the sin debt so that His righteousness can be imputed to us through faith so that we would be accounted, declared righteous in God's courtroom. All the sin that was ours, all the evidence, as Corey likes to say, on the prosecution table against us, He swept it off onto Himself and paid the debt so that we might be Set free. It says he will make many to be accounted righteous because he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12, quickly. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many. Might make you struggle. He don't say all, but he doesn't. And, makes, and made intercession, makes intercession, made intercession for the transgressors. He, had seen, he put himself on the line. He interceded for us. Now, he, it's true he intercedes for us now from the throne in prayer. But he put himself on the line and sacrificed himself for us that he might save us from our sin. All prophesied, as I said, 700 years before the birth in Bethlehem where the arm of the Lord would be born. God's incarnate power, or God's power, His infinite power, was incarnate in God's Son to save us. The same power that spread out the heavens. Hebrews, cross-referenced with Isaiah, says the Son's hands spread out the heavens. And Christ accomplished our salvation as the arm of the Lord through His life, death, burial, and resurrection. And He gives it to us as a free gift like we've been studying in Romans. So what do we do with this? Just quickly, if you're lost, Christ and all that He is and has is yours if you will have Him. That's the question. Will you have Him? Will you turn from going your own way and wanting God to bless your plans from pursuing self and sin, will you turn and receive Christ in God's way in His salvation through faith? Repentance and faith is the way, two sides of the coin of conversion. Has God convicted you of your sin? Has He caused you to be hopeless in yourself? such that you have turned with grief and hatred from your sin and desire to be free from it and accepted Christ 
as your Savior? If so, you are redeemed, reconciled to God. But listen, the only real way to celebrate Christmas is to receive God's gift of His Son. Otherwise, it's just faith. It's just a me-fest. It's just stuff. <coughs> just give me some stuff, and I'll be happy. God gifted us His Son, the very power of God. Without Him, your Christmas is definitely too small. So look to Christ in faith and have a big Christmas for the first time this year. Turn to Him. He, he rejects none who come to Him. If you are turning to Him and will trust in Him, it's because He's at work in you, drawing you. Pay attention to that. Don't take it for granted. Turn and trust in Christ today. Those of you who are trusting Him, your Christmas can still be too small. Do you know Him? I mean really know Him. Are you growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as Peter challenges us to? Do you really grasp the greatness of His power in your salvation? And see... Again, remember how we started. We all have room to grow. Do you need to know more about Christ? Yes. If you're satisfied with what you know about Him, you're backslidden. You need, at best, if you don't have a thirst to know Him, because that's what the Spirit produces in the hearts of those He saves. He gives us a thirst for His Word. He gives us a desire to know Him. And the more we know about Him, the more we revel in Him and rest in Him and are amazed at God's grace in Him. See, don't be satisfied with a small knowledge of God. Don't be satisfied with a small Christmas. Too many are. Too many say silly things like theology is for the theologians. Bible studies for the preacher. Well, that's like saying breathing is for the doctor and eating is for the nutrition expert. That won't last you very long. Do you know him and do you desire to know him? Vody Balkum says this, and I agree with it. The modern church is producing passionate people with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well. church that's about that deep it's just sort of a glorified rock concert a band and a TED talk I've said that before maybe you didn't hear it it's producing that a lot of people who are very passionate about a God they don't know very well because it's all really about the experience for them I'm not judging people I'm just telling you the truth there's a lot of shallowness out there these days. But God would have us know Him, really know Him, own our weakness, know that we need to grow, know that we need to more know, know more of Him to walk through this dark world in a way that glorifies Him. Don't be passionate people with empty heads who like to jump around about a Jesus that you don't know very well. This Christmas, look up at the stars and know that what you see is the very tip of the iceberg. 
and that the same power that hung and named all those stars was incarnate and is your Savior, the arm of the Lord. He died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried. He was raised the third day. He's ascended. He's reigning now. And salvation is yours if you will turn and trust Him. Will you have Him? I'm just want to, I'm going to give you a te- I'm going to quit and give you a text that I, I would just say go meditate on. But it comes from Hebrews 1 verses 3 and 4 about our Savior and about the, Him being the arm of the Lord and about His power. Now watch this. Who was this child? We sung about that. <clears throat> he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He, now watch this. Want to know how big your Savior is? He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why? Because it was finished. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Have a big Christmas this year because you have a big Savior who is the arm of the Lord, the omnipotent power of the true and living God. Trust and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ and grow in knowing who your Savior is and who He is for you. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Help us, Lord. If we have no desire to know you, Lord, save us. If we've slidden back and gotten slack, renew us, refresh us, revive us, and challenge us all, no matter how spiritually healthy we are, to press on toward the mark of Christ's likeness, to press on toward the mark of knowing our God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knowing the greatness of your salvation. It's a lifelong effort, and then we're not finished until you glorify us. But may it be our delight and joy to grow in the knowledge of our glorious and great King and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, I pray, convert those who don't know you. Convert our children, convert our adults, convert anyone who doesn't know you. And challenge and grow in grace the rest of us who do. Help us to take seriously your command to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. So that we know our big God in growing measure. And therefore we do have a big Christmas because we are focused on the arm of the Lord incarnate for us. To save us, to deliver us. And who will return someday. to judge His enemies. Though we were all born enemies of God, I pray that none of us will die enemies of God. And there are some under the sound of my voice who at this moment are enemies of God. I don't know who they are. But you do. Grant them repentance and faith. Faith in the arm of the Lord. Faith in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be at work in us, Lord, through the word preached and upcoming through your supper. It's in your holy name I pray. Amen.